What does a TARDIS, a pardon Thanksgiving turkey, and jihadis have in common? Episode 21 of the Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21 of the Booterverse. We are so glad that you're with us. We have actor Tom Phillips with us today to talk about, what else, Doctor Who. Marsha Houlihan is here with us, and of course Judy Scheinbaum answers your questions all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Pine Cones. Pine Cones, when you want something seedy and prickly in your house other than your relatives. And now for news in my orbit. It's the holidays and everyone's cooking, but have you ever wondered what to feed the hungry Mujahideen? Now the answer is in, and culinary fans are taking notice. The very best in jihadi cuisine can now be served at your table. The dish? Pancakes. Move over, Aunt Jemima, there's a new headscarf in town, and whipping up breakfast jihadi style couldn't be simpler. All the perfect fluffy terrorist flapjack calls for is one egg, four tablespoons of sugar, one tablespoon of oil, four teaspoons of salt, one cup of milk, one cup of flour, and some honey to drizzle on the top. And if you like that recipe, there's another just out for date mush balls that only calls for three ingredients. The preferred snack food for every hard-working warrior takes only minutes to make and might just be a hit at your next holiday party. Who do we have to thank for these gastronomic gems? They come straight from the test kitchens of Al Zara, the ISIS agency for women, which has taken up the serious task of making sure that its armies have all the high-quality calories they need for a long, hard day of committing atrocities. And for those of you who want more, a cookbook is being planned, and if that proves successful, a special edition calendar called Cakes of the Caliphate will be out in time for 2015. There is only one word that encapsulates the verdict of Mujahideen everywhere. Mmm, jihadalicious. Now in music news, following his confession that he's been living in a Holiday Inn and is more broke than your eardrums when one last breath comes on the radio, former Creed frontman Scott Stapp may have happened upon an unlikely solution to his financial woes. After seeing its earnings fall precipitously in the wake of news that Stapp had cozied up with a motel chain, Holiday Inn has reportedly offered to foot Stapp's lodging bill at another establishment, if, of course, he will stop mentioning them in conjunction with Creed. Perhaps a Hojo's or a nice extended stay America. We'd never ask him to stoop so low as a Motel 6, Holiday Inn Corporate said apologetically, but we just can't take the hit to our bottom line. It's the holidays. Emboldened by this development, Circle K made a similar offer after Stapp revealed that he was existing almost solely on items from the convenience store's heated roller bars. Walmart issued a preemptive strike saying that they don't think he'd mentioned them yet, but they were offering a lifetime supply of Wrangler jeans if he would just leave them out of it. And the offers keep pouring in, in a flood of fundraising that makes We Are The World look like a fourth grader's lemonade stand. Among those rumored to be on board are William Sonoma, Purina, Bath & Body Works, and the Association of Hawaiian Pineapple Canners. Anyone else wishing to contribute to the worthy cause is encouraged to donate through the website www.makeitstap.com. Turning our attention now to politics, in another embarrassing misstep for the Obama administration, Cheese, the turkey officially pardoned by the president early last week, 
broke bad and was later spotted lobbing a Molotov cocktail into a Ferguson storefront as the neighborhood ignited in the wake of a grand jury's refusal to indict Darren Wilson. Federal marshals were called in, but attempts to capture the bird who had run shockingly afoul of the law were initially frustrated because there were no previously agreed upon rules of engagement for dealing with rogue turkeys. After several hours of fruitless strategic negotiations, the suggestion was finally made to just Google it. A plan involving a turkey call and some wire mesh were created to haul the bird in. Within the hour, Cheese, wearing a 40% dark meat t-shirt, was plucked from the midst of protesters and trust according to Anthony Bourdain's recommendations. The bird is being remanded to Washington, D.C., where it is expected to become Rick Renzi's cellmate once the convicted former congressman begins serving his time. In time for the holidays, things may be tough all over, but it's especially hard during this time of year for those in the 12 Days of Christmas service sector. The 2014 12 Days of Christmas price index is out, and amidst distressing news of rising goose costs and threats of turtle dove shortages everywhere, there is a sad tale of stagnant wages for pipers, drummers, and milkmaids the world over. Many lords have stopped leaping altogether and are prepared to strike if they are unable to negotiate a living wage. People think we live high on the hog like we're real lords or something, said a member of Leaping Lords Local 148. This ain't some renaissance fair. I got a truck payment and a bunch of dogs to feed. And he's right. It's not the Middle Ages anymore, says Josh Salvo, the man who claims he has the solution for saving the 12 days. His solution? Updating it for the 21st century. He has already approached the lords with suggestions that they transform themselves into leaping lumber sexuals, and they are said to be giving it due consideration. Nine ladies dancing? Make it nine ladies twerking, says Salvo. It worked for Miley Cyrus. Why not them? Only time will tell if his recommendations will reinvigorate the market and encourage 12-day worker retention, but he does have high hopes. As for the eight maids of milking, Salvo advocates for a changeover to grass-fed, hormone-free cows. But hold on to the maids part, he says, because that's always been kind of hot. That's been it for news in my orbit. We'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Ladders. Ladders, getting you somewhere you didn't want to go in the first place. Welcome back. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Mornings with Marsha. Marsha Houlihan, you're on the Booterverse. Oh, hello, Emery. It's been a wild month away since I've been back here on the Booterverse, and I'm just so glad to be able to see you. Thanks so much for having me on. I tell you what, we've got a lot of stuff to cover over here because Mishawaka, Wisconsin is just going crazy nuts over this snow stuff. Marsha, did you say snow stuff? Oh, yes, Emery, I tell you what, there, that snow is just coming down like a rainforest in perpetual motion. I tell you what, we might have some ocelots or some sloths out there if we keep going the way we're going, except instead of ocelots or sloths, what we have are, uh, you know, sort of bull mooses and, uh, you know, sometimes we have a couple of albatrosses. I tell you what, I don't know where they come from, but they just sort of land in the snow there and make their little nests. I tell you what, Mishawaka, Wisconsin is a breeding ground for albatross. I tell you what, I, I think that the albatross is probably the uh, county bird, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. 
But I tell you what, though, I do know that sometimes uh, when Walt, my husband, and I go out for a drive, you know, on our snow machine, sometimes we'll just see flocks of albatross or albatry, whatever you call them, just flying overhead. And, and Walt just looks over to me all dreamy eyes and says, I tell you what, Marcia, it's been a long time since we've been together. And I tell you what, those albatross still make me a little gushy inside. I tell you what, when Walt gets all gushy, it just makes my heart feel good inside. You know, I mean, whenever somebody says, oh, Marcia, you remind me of a big bird. I think people understand how, how wonderful that is to hear. Because, you know, it's like they're thinking about you. You know, and just thinking, hey, you know, this is a great person I'm spending my life with. And I tell you what, the albatross is a lovely winged creature, but I don't know. You know, because it's like you, they take flight and then you never see them again till September. So, you know, what are you going to do? It's kind of like a college kid, you know what I mean? They take flight and you never see them again until holidays or that time when they come home to try to get you to do their laundry. And I tell you what, I tell Walt Jr., I, I'm not going to do your laundry anymore. No, sir. No, young man. Because, you know, one time uh, you do it and then they just take advantage of that. You know, the college kids, they're just so crazy these days with their Wi-Fi and, and all the other sort of contraptions that they need. You know, my son, Walt Jr., said that he needed, and this is a true story, he needed an iPaddly diddle. And I don't even know what that is. He said, Mom, I need an iPad and I need one right now and I need a little pen that does a little doodling on it. And I said, well, Walt Jr., I don't even know if they've got one of those things where we're from. But he said you can get it on the internet. And I said, well, Walt, we barely have the landlines, let alone, you know, the Wi-Fi. So I don't even understand what you're talking about there. But he insisted, he insisted that it was just something that he needed. And I said, well, you know, Walt, my husband, I said, well, we got to get this for this kid, you know, because he's, he's learning over there. And yeah, it's, it's our job as parents to sort of help him learn. And, and you know, we got him that little iPad thing there. He doesn't even talk to us. And apparently it has a thing called hand time where, you know, you can talk to each other hand. I don't know. I think it's for people who do the sign language. I'm not really sure. But I will say that he doesn't even hand time us anymore. I tell you what, this young man needs to get a little bit more of a job instead of spending so much time at the university over the year. But, you know, college is college and kids will be kids. So, you know, Walt and I are happy to help. But anyway, I don't know what we were talking about, but the snow is coming down here. So before we hang up, I'm just going to say something there, Emery. Do you want me to make a special snowman wish for you? Marsha, did you say a snowman wish? Oh, yes, Emery. You know, the first snow of the year, except, you know, it's not really our first snow because it's been snowing since mid-August. But I tell you what, if you make a wish on that first snowman and we haven't made one yet, they say that that wish will come true. You have any wishes for us there, young man? Well, Marsha, I think I just want people to have a wonderful and happy holiday. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, goes without saying. I tell you what, you should have seen our holidays. We started off with that turkey as big as a snow machine. And I'll tell you what, Walt ate about half of it in one night. I swear to heaven's sakes, that man had a tryptophan headache to knock down the neighbor's house, if you know what I mean. So, with that said, I'm going to see you, Emery. But you know what? You take care. And the next time we're on, we're going to talk about some snow machines. And as always, the invitation still stands. If you want to come up, you're more than welcome. And I'll make you some breakfast. Thank you, Marsha. And we'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of Foodiverse is brought to you by Braces. Braces, when you want to get in a fight with a blow-up animal and win. And now for a segment we like to call The Last Lung with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, the floor is yours. 
Oh, Emery, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's wonderful. Well, Judy, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready to answer people's questions? Oh, of course, sweetheart. The first question I have is from Marion in Massapequa, New York. She says, why do they call it a French manicure if you never see a French woman doing their nails that way? Well, sweetheart, there's a lot of things you hear called French and the French don't actually do it. Do you think the French invented French kissing? Absolutely not. Sweetheart, I think it was my people, if you know what I mean. Mm. Next. Our next question is from Cynthia in London, Ontario. If you could only make one food for the holiday, what would it be? Oh, sweetheart, I just love holidays and holiday parties. If I could just make one food, ugh, I don't even know. I'm sure it would involve bacon, but I think we know we can't talk to the rabbi about that, mm, if you know what I mean. So, on the DL, I love to take peppers, stuff them with cream cheese, and then wrap bacon around them. Oh my lord, they are to die for. Oh, so good. Just, just, oh, oh, I can't, oh, oh. I'm okay. Let's move on. The next question I have is from Jules. Jules, ooh, hello, Jules in Trenton, New Jersey. Jules asks, My schnauzer schniffles won't stop relieving himself in the hallway of my building. What should I do? Sweetheart, there's only one thing to do. Doggy depends. I swear, even Eliza has some for those hard-to-reach moments. You're on the subway, you don't know what to do. She pops on a pair. Delightful. Oh, for those of you who don't know, Eliza is my daughter. She's wonderful, but she's a pain in my side. But I must say, doggy depends on the way to go. If you want to get your little schnauzer to stop relieving himself, say, schnauzer, stop. You're schnitzing on the thistle. You've got to stop it. And I'm going to put this doggy diaper on you until you can stop. Capiche? That's what you gotta do. Next. Alright, our next individual is Mifume from Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Mifume, the person, M. We'll just call you M. I really am from Zimbabwe and am looking for someone to help me with my money, but no one will. Will you? Mifume, I don't even know if you're a man or a woman. How am I supposed to help you with money? There's only one rule for money that I have, and it's don't let your relatives get their grubby hands on it. I don't care if they live in the West Bank of Africa or the West Bank of Long Island. Don't let them touch it. Next. Ooh, here's one from Bucky in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. I can't stop swearing in church. How can I break myself of it? Bucky, why are you swearing in church? As far as I know, your God doesn't like that sort of behavior. In church, out of church, it doesn't matter. You need to stop, young man. Or, Bucky, I don't know, are you related to a deer? I don't even understand. Where are you coming from? This is crazy. Sweetheart, before you stop swearing, why don't you start changing your name? We can't have it bucks running around, Bucky. What are you? Do you do you belong to some sort of country club? Oh, hello, my name is Bucky. Let me play tennis. I need a partner for doubles. Who are you going to get to play doubles with you? Who are you going to get to partner with you? An antelope? Next. Ooh, here's one. Okay, Lois in Youngstown, Ohio. I need $50,000 fast. Suggestions. Why are we talking about money today? I feel like a, a New York banker has come to my place and said, Judy, help us invest in Wall Street. Sweetheart, I wouldn't know Golden Sachs from the rump of that little bull on Wall Street. You gotta go someplace else for your money problems. Everybody keeps asking me, and I said I don't know. I'm Judy Scheinbaum, not frickin' Carnegie Hall over here. 
Next. Ooh, hello. Okay, this is from Pat in Pacatello, Indiana. Oh, no. This is Pat in Pacatello, Idaho. Pat says, oh, another androgynous name. Pat, are you a man or a woman? Who's to say? Pat, if that is your real name, says, to Botox or not to Botox? Well, sweetheart, if you're a man, I say do it. If you're a woman, lay off the swath. Next. Brendan in Carlsbad, California says, I have a morbid terror of snowmen, and this time of year is absolute hell. Nobody knows about it. Do I tell people after 35 years of silence? Sweetheart, after 35 years of silence, I still don't tell people I wax my other lip. So I say, zip it and keep it to yourself. That's just Judy. So, you know, do what you want, sweetheart. But, you know, telling your relatives will only make them do one thing. Make snowman in your front yard for decades to come. And I think that's it for the last lung with Judy. I love you all. Mwah. That's been it for the last lung. We'll be right back right after this. Today's episode of The Booterverse is brought to you by Doorstops. Doorstops. There's nothing like a contraption that can keep a door open when all you want is to keep it shut. Welcome back, everybody. I am sitting here with actor Tom Phillips. Tom, it's great to have you in the uh, studio. It's great to be here in the Booterverse for the first time. Mm, A lot of people say their first time is the best time. I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't have a second time or haven't yet. But you know what? I'm open to opportunities, possibilities. The night is young. Mm, indeed it is. Tom, you, my friend, are playing a lovely character. One of my favorites. A lot of people don't know this, but the booter is a fan of Doctor Who. And you, my friend, are actually playing the Doctor. Yes, I will be in January. I did in June. I will be doing so again in January. Mm. Let's take a time warp back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. When did you start acting? I started acting in college, actually. Uh, uh, I I did in high school briefly, but I had a stutter at the time. And so I started to stutter in the first read through. And I thought, well, this is probably not a good path for me. And then years later, whoops, you know. What happened to the stutter? Uh, I don't know. It went away. <laughs> Purposefully? Or it ju- it. Oh, you grew up. Oh, I tried very hard. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually it just, you know, yeah. I found that, that once I got on stage, I didn't stutter. I don't know what that means, but... <clears throat> well, I think a lot of people find yeah. the stage to be sort of a lovely prism or a medium with which to interact with people. Oh, absolutely. And it's absolutely. ironic because a lot of people are scared of it, but for mm-hmm. other people, it really does help them to, to interact with, with uh, the general public. Absolutely. If it weren't for theater, I'd still be living in my parents' basement. <clears throat> well, you know what? There is something to be said for living in one's basement. Yes. Or one's parents', parents basement. basement. Hmm. The rent is good. Or non-existent. Or non-existent. If you have good parents. Yeah, if you have good parents. Yes. Wow. So from the stutter, so you had this as a child, is that correct? Yeah. That's really interesting. I uh, I was in, I was in third grade and uh, one of the, one of the cool kids in class had this awful stutter and being eight years old and stupid, I thought, well, if I have a stutter, then I'll be a cool kid too. So wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so you did you self-impose the stutter? I literally self-imposed my stutter. I didn't realize that when you're eight, you're in your linguistically formative years. No one told me. So and this so, is really... Now, this is yeah. an interesting fact because I've never yep. come across someone who has purposefully added the stutter, couldn't get out of it, and had to work to get out of it years later. I'm the only one that I know of. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you are a linguistic, so, uh, I was going to say pariah, but enigma. Uh, you, enigma, yeah. yes. Yeah. Mm. 
So, so yeah, well, that was, yeah. And then uh, my freshman year in college, I was bored one Sunday afternoon. I auditioned for a show and I got a part and then never stopped. Do you remember, do you remember the show? It was As You Like It mm. by William Shakespeare. William. Bi- I like to call yes. him William. Yes. Mm. And those who saw, saw the show can attest to the fact that I was god awful. <laughs> hey, but you, we all have to start somewhere. Absolutely. Yep. You should see yep. or hear one of the first episodes of the Booterverse. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Better than it should have been, but not as good as I would have liked. That's how it usually goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, speaking of good old Bill, how much Shakespeare have you done in your past? Wow. I've done probably a dozen, 13, 14 different Shakespeare. Uh, not different shows. I've done, there's a few shows I've done more than once. There's a few roles I've done more than once. But yeah. Do you have a favorite show or role? Richard III, mm. <clears throat> probably. You know, I was yeah. I was always a Henry the Fourth kind of guy myself. Yeah, I never, I, I did Henry the Fifth, but not the Fourth. Mm. Um, Benedict's another great one. Yeah. Uh, I did Romeo and Mercutio. Wow, that's got to be Just not at the same time. Oh, well, yeah, because that would be kind of hard, really. It would be, it would be. But, um, Very taxing on your acting skills. Seriously, yeah. Um, and actually, Mercutio is the better role. Really? Yeah. Why do you think? Yeah, he's just more fun. Romeo is in so many ways, well, exactly what you think he is—a silly teenager. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas Mercutio is sort of the crazy friend you have, who's sort of the leader of the pack. Um, he's, yeah. There's just so many different things about Mercutio that are, make him more interesting than Romeo. You know, going from Shakespeare to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Big leap, small leap, no leap at all. Oh, wow. Mm, yeah. Hard to... I mean, I've done all sorts of different theater. So the interesting thing about doing Doctor Who, uh, or The Doctor, apologize, sorry about that, um, uh, is it was a, it's, it's done in a, in a mystery dinner style. So it's different from just a straight theatrical production or what you would see as a Doctor Who episode. It was an interesting episode. I think it is an interesting episode, what we did. Uh, uh, Kathy Hobbs, the writer and producer and director, uh, really came up with a great episode, um, but did it in the format of a mystery dinner theater kind of thing. So It's interesting because during this season, season eight of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which I hope everyone's caught up, oh, yes. um, there was actually an episode where they're on, you know, sort of this 19th century uh, train or yeah, I guess it was a 19th century train. Yeah, the, the Orient Express. Yes, the Orient Express. Yes, right. Orient Express. And, you know, but this one, of course, is in space, right. um, <laughs> as one does. And I just thought it was interesting. Is there a parallel or any parallels between that episode and what you are, are doing? Or did you, have you seen it? I have and, seen it. And do you do you see any parallels? Uh, the, the the only parallels I, I would find in, in, well, between those two things would be A, the doctor, and B, uh, m- people who have never encountered this person before. And he ends up, you know, being the guy who, who who's at the center of the story or who solves the problem or, you know, that sort of thing. He's, he does what the doctor does. Yes. Um, but the episode, the, what the, the show that we do takes place. Uh, I won't give anyway, any spoilers here, but it's sort of a, it takes place at a doctor who convention, Interesting. albeit a, terribly amateur amateurishly put together one the kind where you'd walk in and go i can't believe i paid for this but that's a part of the joke right in the story where a dalek is just made of a tin tr- trash can right well know? we didn't have it we did have a tardis actually oh wow we did have a tardis someone actually built a tardis so my my very first time 
as the doctor, I got to walk out of the TARDIS onto the stage. Now, that's got to be a great feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, do you pattern your doctor off of any of the subsequent characters, or has it been written in a specific timeline? Yeah, it it was written for a specific place in the timeline uh, for the 10th Doctor uh, in between uh, Silence of the Library and the, uh, the Wreck of the Byzantium. All right, for those Doctor Who fans that yes. might be listening, that is a very specific, yes, very specific timeline yes. point. Interesting. Yes, when uh, if you remember from from uh, Silence in the Library, River uh, takes out her diary and says, "Have we done Picnic at Asgard yet?" And they haven't. Well, this episode fits very nice. I say episode because that's how I like to. That's see how it. you feel it. That's yeah. how I feel it is. It's an episode, and it takes place right before. That happens, and apparently Moffat has 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 made it clear that uh, Asgard was actually a Tenth Doctor River Song uh, um, story. We never got to see it, right? Which is sad, but oh well. Um, Someday, maybe. Right? Yeah. So Matt Smith's first time was with the Wreck of the Byzantium, and and uh, and and, and Tenet's last time that we saw was the library. But there's Picnic at Asgard that takes place, and the story that we tell takes place right before that, so it fits very neatly in the timeline. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Hmm. Do you personally identify with one doctor over the other? Uh-huh. Uh, I like how you asked the question. You didn't say, who's your favorite doctor? Well, I am a professional. I do mm-hmm. like to think that I have a certain je ne sais quoi with, with the words. I sort of manipulate, massage them, if you will, yeah, to make I... them roll off the tongue. <laughs> roll off and... the tongue. Mm. Lovely. No, I, I, mean, I really, I mean, if, if, I mean, if pressed. Uh, no, I, I, t- David Tennant's doctor, I think, I think really. And that's, that's a fairly common answer for people. The very first doctor I saw was Tom Baker. Also a very common answer for people. But if I, if I identified personality-wise... Quirk-wise, definitely him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, although I've liked, since the reboot, I've liked all four of them. For different reasons, in different ways. But I've absolutely come to love all of them. I'd like to have seen what Christopher Eccleston could have done oh, with yeah. another season. Yeah. Because I really feel like they were just getting yeah. into it. And, you know, I don't know if he wanted to do it. I actually don't know the story mm. behind behind the change. But, yeah. you know, that was really quite early in the series. Obviously, he just did one season. and. Right. I was curious to see because he has this sort of dark side that mm-hmm. some of the others don't have and you haven't really seen until um, Peter Capaldi has yeah. come back who I think is doing a phenomenal job. Oh, I think, he's, I think he's absolutely fantastic. I love his doctor. It's interesting. There's sort of a comparison between the two. Between the two doctors, there's the darker edge and also between the two seasons because I felt like Eccleston's season had some good moments, but overall wasn't as strong as the subsequent seasons. And I kind of feel that way about season eight as well. Some great moments, uh, a couple, but um, but I, 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 I loved watching it. Uh, but th- there were moments where I like, okay, I want to see where this goes. Absolutely. Kind of and I think that they were setting, they've set up a lot of good things yeah. for Capaldi to do uh, in subsequent seasons. Right. And I hope... I, or I think the response to him as a doctor has been actually very favorable. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think at first people had no idea what to really expect. Right. Uh, and I think he's really lived up to yeah. the, the sort of the aura of the doctor, if you will. Now, from, from the moment in, uh, from, from Deep Breath, the, the very first episode this season, when he opens the TARDIS door and goes, shush. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, you got me. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, and, and this will be sacrilege to most. I almost, I'm almost ready to say he's my favorite, uh-huh, really? but, yeah. but I'm not quite there yet. I yeah. think I need to spend a little bit more time because, yeah, you yeah. know, we spent so much time with David Tennant. Oh yeah. And I just felt like he, you know, it has been said that whatever doctor you start with is sort of the doctor you always like the best. Now I don't know that that's always true. No, I would. I, it's it's certainly not true for me. Um, oddly enough, I mean, it, I watched some Tom Baker back when I was a kid, um, back in the eighties. Um, well, I say eighties, I'm at seventies. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> a decade. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I didn't watch the reboot. The first episode I saw was the Doctor's Wife. Oh, Neil really? Gaiman episode uh, with you know, obviously Matt Smith, <clears throat> and that was the first time I had seen the new Doctor believe it or not, and was hooked. I mean, I knew enough about the character and enough about the background so that that episode meant something to me. Because if, you, if, if, it's, if you're going in cold and you see that episode, it doesn't have nearly the emotional effect. You know, when she says, I just wanted to say hello, and you're like, ah, so much feels, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then I went back and watched, I made it through Rose somehow. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If, if, if anyone asks what your least favorite episode is, it's that one. But I'm glad I saw The Doctor's Wife first because I knew what to look forward to. But yeah, I, I ended up uh, really liking Eccleston. And then Tennant had this thing where it just right away you like him. Whereas Smith took me some time. I think that has been an experience of a lot of people. I could say I I had a similar one as well. I love Matt Smith. I think he did an excellent job with the character. But, you know, again, it was just one of those... Um, and, and that's what I really liked about Tennant and Capaldi both. Yeah. You sort, they sort of step onto stage and you're like... Boop, there you are. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Do you find that it was as easy for you to step on stage as the Doctor? Yeah. Um, be, well, part of the thing was this. I, uh, when, when, you, when you do a Doctor Who uh, show, uh, uh, you know, whether it's a mystery show or whatever, you, you're kind of assuming that a lot of the people in the audience are going to be fairly familiar with the character and with the show and that's who you're doing it for and and so I uh, I I really worked hard on on getting my tenant down not so much an impression I'm not really an impressionist but enough to where uh, a well obviously you know who I'm doing <laughs> hopefully right. Right, <laughs> but sure. also there are certain there's certain hallmarks about David Tennant's doctor that people just connect with and and I think on an emotional level uh, for people who who like the character, and especially his portrayal, his particular doctor, I, th- I think I had a really good time doing that. So, if that there reaction. were a couple words to describe his doctor that you would use, you know, as a, as an actor, because mm-hmm. actors have language to understand what they're supposed to do with the character, right? right? What sort of marks do you find in David Tennant's doctor that you may not find in subsequent or previous doctors? That I may not find in subsequent because there's certain commonalities in all or, of them. Or, or common. Um, what do you think is unique to his doctor? To his doctor, well, part of it there's. It was the first time we really had uh, someone so much more youthful than. I mean, he, he's not that much younger than Eccleston, but his, his energy. I mean, that's he's all about just wild energy and stuff, um, and just his fascination with humanity that runs through the entire character arc from the beginning um is fast talking i love the the fact that he talks so fast that was fun and he has such a unique more so even than tom baker he has such an iconic voice 
uh, it wasn't his voice. He was doing an accent, but he has such, uh, uh, such an iconic voice that I, you, you hear that and you know who it is right away. Absolutely. And I love that. Speaking of voices, now, mm-hmm. Peter, uh, Scottish, yeah. Scottish uh, yeah. Yeah. thoughts on that? Oh, it's great. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we could do the whole show in the Scottish accent. That's fine. We'll just do that right here. That would do the whole great. thing. would be great, if yeah. you don't mind. Of course, then we're going to get a lot of hate mail from Scots saying, what are you doing? Actually, it's a, <laughs> it's a cra- crazy story. I was at a sheepdog festival doing some interviews. True story. And I said to this man who is Scottish, I said, excuse me, sir, can I do a Scottish accent for you? And he was very trepidatious, as one, one would, might be. And I said, let me just do it and you can see what you think. He said, all right, fine. I did it. He said, oh my goodness, you that's the best Scottish accent I've heard in a long time. So I take special pride in that. Oh, that's great. I've had an Irish guy tell me my Irish was the best. Yeah. Well, perhaps heard. we should go on tour in the, the British Isles and just see how, how much we can pass as our requisite uh, nationalities. Well, there'll be no shortage of vegetables in our diet, that's for sure. No. So, oh, thanks. Oh, mm. Appreciate that. Thanks. Mm. They can really tell, can't they? Fresh haggis. Yeah. Oh. Love it. But um, but yeah, the voice was was just one of those things where um, I really agonized over doing nailing the accent. So do you do was a British it? accent? I mean, do you do? Yeah, well, I, I do. I do a number of accents. Um, it, doing the thing about doing accents is when you just do it off the cuff, unless you're really really well practiced at it. There's that moment of oh, did that just come out of my mouth? That was terrible. And now it's it's a, it's a podcast. It's out there now. It's ah. out there. It is out there. Ah. It's, you'll be fine. That's okay. Voyager 2. Voyager um, 2. <clears throat> or yeah. 1 and 2, I guess. Right? Yeah. yeah. But um, I realized that uh, um, um, Tennant's accent is, as the doctor, is about as malleable as his hairstyle. Interesting. Yeah. It's like it's all sort of the same way, but there's some, you know, there's some flexibility there. Wikipedia says it's the estuary accent. The estuary. And I listened to a bunch of estuary you know, at tapes and whatnot. And I'm thinking, no, none of these, none of these sound like him. And then I realized I'm just going to do Monty Python. There you go. You know, that's all. It's just, it's, it's just a British yes. accent. I mean, it's not posh. It isn't Cockney. It's just, well, you know, it's just this sort of thing like that, you know, and then you, and then you throw in, well, you got the well thing that he does. You've got a little bit of the eshes that he's got there. And he's got these really harsh, um, final T's that he does. And, um, well, you know, just sort of like that. And it just sort of grew. And the writing, was such that I mean I'm reading these lines and it's like oh I can totally hear him doing that. Excellent. So you feel as though yeah. the 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 writer was able to capture his voice. Oh, she nailed it. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Do you find that there's a lot of Doctor Who theater out there? No. In fact, I actually don't know of any. I I didn't do much trolling on the internet, but mm-hmm. I didn't find much if at all. But no, I don't know the, of any. I mean, the, the she actually wrote this thing because she had there you know, there's a bunch of mystery dinner uh, theater shows out there, scripts and whatnot, and she had done one that was a uh, uh, takes place at a sci-fi con where, where there's like a, I guess there was like a fight between Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans, as there often as is. as there often is. And someone there said, "Hey, can you is can you do a Doctor Who one?" And she's like, well, I, you know, and so she wrote one and it was, it's great. And there, <laughs> and great. there it is. Yeah. So how yeah. long has this been up and running? You said last June, I think, mm-hmm. and then uh, you'll be doing it in January. Yep. Is it just literally within the past year? Yeah, li- literally within the past, a year ago. I mean, 365 days ago, this had not been written yet. Mm. Um, oh, I feel this fact, is so fresh. Yeah, so in fact, new. it was being written 
it may have been being written well definitely may i don't know when it, it was probably finished in june though so it's wow she wrote that really fast it's brand new oh yeah yeah wow she yeah. really churned it out and it's and, and she i wouldn't say she wrote it fast she she kind of said she had to like wait for the characters to talk as opposed to writing something down and trying to fit it in. Well, it is yeah. nice. It's sort of like fan fiction, yeah, if you oh, will. That's exactly uh, what it is. You know, once yeah. the characters are already established, it's right. much easier, I think, to take that voice and run with it. Right, right. Um, what they will say in generations about the Booter voice, I have no idea. Um, not the Booter verse, that's something different, but the Booter voice, I don't know. I think people like to intune or intone my sort of nasality. But anyway, I digress. I'm fans of rabbit holes. I am a fan of rabbit holes. I don't know if you know this about me or not, but... Um, now I, I do. Now you do. Rabbit I, holes in general or... Yes, in general and more specifically, verbal rabbit holes. Verbal rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. Not so much the rabbits themselves. No, I really don't but. like hair. Hossenpfeffer. I don't like it. <laughs> That's a word we don't use enough of. Hossenpfeffer. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I feel like Looney Tunes was so good about bringing that word to the fore... And it's just gone now. It's sort of sacred ground, though. You don't want to mess with it too much. You don't really, no. You know? um, it's kind of like going back and doing Red Dawn again. Mm. No, it's not quite like that at all, actually. Never yeah. Mind. I'm never mm. going to say that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is great because what we're actually getting is a do- uh, an actor's perspective on the Doctor, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of people have actually been able to do. Obviously, it's critics and <clears throat> sci-fi fans who care more about, you know the actual technicality of the stories and the timeline and making sure that it is pure. Yes. And actors, as they are, trying to embody a character so iconic as it is and so diverse as it is, uh, I I think it's really interesting to hear your take on the Doctor and the actual series itself because Mm -hmm. you don't often get that perspective. Right. Well, that's one of the reasons I I jumped at doing it because, I mean... I'm probably not likely to ever play the role for real. Um, Given that you're an American. Yeah. For no yeah. other reason than you're you're a Yank. See, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just the terrible prejudice they have. No, but, I, but <laughs> the, the other thing was, if I don't do this, someone else will. Someone else will. I'm not going to let that happen. Why would you? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is mine. Mine. I, I mean, honestly, though, if you think about it, you are one of the few people who have actually played the Doctor. Now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's going to be actually a very unique and, and, and special feeling because of how important this role is to so many people. Right. And right. so many people around the world. It's mm-hmm. not just a British thing. It's not just an American thing. But truly, globally, the Doctor has impacted people of, of all stripes, faiths, creeds. Absolutely. And thanks to, to, I mean, Netflix and things like that. I mean, so many... You know, I, I got to go back and watch the entire series. Well, starting with 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 Eccleston, uh, and just really get into it. And once I got started, I I, I was hooked. That you know that that was it. Uh, and so, so I I got to play a, a character that I really really love. Absolutely. You know, so that was that was a treat. Um. So yeah, yeah and, and with a cool script and a good storyline and an, an interesting episode, it was great to be able to do that. Any other characters that you really, really love that you'd like to play? Wow. Any other character that I really like to play? Um, no, no one comes to mind. It, it's almost like um, you, you end up doing a role that you didn't know you really wanted to do. But once you start doing it, it becomes, oh, well, this is great. You know, whether it's 
the doctor or or Richard the Third or Mr. Darcy or you know any anything like that. That's that's wait, like wait wait wait. You've you've played Mr. Darcy. I yeah I I, I played Mr. Darcy. Oh yeah. dear dear Lord sir. I played Mr. Darcy. And yeah, that was fun. You a big uh, Jane Austen fan? No, I think I'm not a big good. Fan. Thing, good. No, one, one of the things I remember about high school English is I can't stand 19th century British literature. Uh, if I was close <laughs> enough to you, I would high five you, sir. I am not just, <clears throat> just a couldn't, fan. couldn't do it. No, I yeah. can't either. Yeah. No, maybe if I went back now and and you know with a few a few years under my belt, then I might enjoy it more. But at the time, I was just ugh. Sir, you know. I would surmise it would be as boring and as superfluous <laughs> as you would think it was back when you were in high school. I like the 16th century British literature. Oh, much not better. Not so much the 19th. Um, do you want to talk about that? Thing. What should we talk about? I the mean, yeah. Why do you think that is? Because it was Shakespeare. All right. And I'd read enough Tolkien, which is 20th century British literature. I'd read enough Tolkien to uh, to where the the elevated language wasn't nearly as remote for me ah. as it would have been. And so I just sort of had a knack for the for the language, which I think helped me enjoy it more. Because I went through the same thing every other kid did. And, you know, 10th grade, you read Romeo and Juliet and, uh, you know. Um, but I actually ended up getting into it a lot more. So in, in some ways, it's not surprising that my first show is Shakespeare or that I ended up doing this. But, um, but yeah, I, I ended up getting into the whole idea of Shakespeare pretty early on. Excellent. And but but yeah, not so much the Brontes or the Austins no. or Thomas Hardy. Ugh, you know. Yeah. I I sir I Dickens is different. Dickens, Dickens is something. different. He does have a unique yeah. a unique quality about him. Yeah. You know, I mean he's so tongue in cheek sometimes, just so it, you know what what I like about Dickens? He's naughty. Dickens is a Dickens naughty the, yeah. naughty writer yeah. and I like that about him. You yeah. know what I mean? He's not going to He's going to take you for a ride. Uh-huh. You know you're on a ride. Just enjoy it. Yeah. There's going to be some twists and turns. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be some familiarity. It's... And, you know, that's why I can read A Christmas Carol every Christmas Eve and not get tired of it because it is so wonderful. And the words, instead of becoming boring the second, third, twelfth time around, right. it's, you know, they right. just brighten up, light up. Anyway, you never hear the doctor say y'all. You do not. I think we need to. Do you say Alonzi at all? Alonzi, Alonzi. Yes, I do. In the show, okay. In there, yeah. I don't usually say it in real life. No, but it's maybe, a bit pretentious in real life. A little bit. It's also yeah. confusing because people look at you and they think something's wrong. Right, you're speaking <laughs> French and For American. No yeah, I'm speaking French, just gratuitous French. Yes, gratuitous. <laughs> it's not just that it is French; it is. Gratuitous French. Right. And it's not kitchen French. No. Yeah. Certainly not. Certainly not. What is next for you? Obviously, you'll be playing the doctor. Uh, uh, any other roles coming up that we should be aware of or no? Yeah. Oddly enough, since we, what we were just talking about, I am going to be playing... A casserole. Lovely. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm going to be the best damn casserole ever. Uh, no, I'm going to be playing uh, uh, Colonel Brandon in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. For Woodford Theater. That'll be in March. Excellent. But it's a role Alan Rickman played. So, I mean, come on. Alan Rickman, best British actor ever? Ooh, boy, that's a tough call. It is, because you've got the Gilgood. There you, are so many. Got, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always say, you know, hey, if you win the lottery, are you going to go back to L.A.? <laughs> no, I'm going to go to London. <laughs> well, I mean, the theater scene there is... Uh, 
quite superior. Theater scene, and there's some good TV. And, you know, tea. Hmm. Without the V. Without the V, yeah. There's actual shepherd's pie. <clears throat> yes, good shepherd's pie. You can get it's haggis. Really, it's really hard to get good shepherd's pie in the state. Shepherd's pie in the states. Not a lot of sheep here. No. Plenty of sheep there. <laughs> Plenty of sheep there. Yeah, the so, yeah, relationship be... the British have with sheep is really sort of disturbing on some level. <laughs> well, and tea as well. Yeah, I mean, I understand the tea is sort of a hearkening back to an imperial age. Queen Victoria, God bless her, and may she blah, blah, blah. But I feel like, yeah, the sheep. Hmm. (laughs) I think most British would say no comment. At the end of the show, we always like to give our guests the opportunity to share anything they want with the audience. Words of wisdom, thoughts, plug anything you want. It's the floor, sir, is yours. The floor is mine. Indeed. This whole floor and everything on it and all of you. Uh, wow, I, boy, this is, well, this is awkward. It always is, and I love it. It's like, you can say anything you want. Anything. And it's like when, when you say, what's wrong? Lots of things are wrong. Well, pick one, and they can't. No. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, um, I, I, well, first of all, kudos to Peter Capaldi. Yeah. On doing a bang-up job. Um, and also, I mean, Jenna Coleman, I think, I, I think a lot of people gave her a lot of crap when she first came on Asylum of the Daleks. Not so much that one. That was really cool. But when she came on as a, as a, as, as a companion, I think there was a lot of resentment. I don't know why I, I love her. Wonderful. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about, about that. I'm excited about, uh, the Christmas, Christmas episode coming up. And you know what I really can't wait for? I really can't wait for the next time there's more than one doctor. The 50th was so incredibly cool to see all those, just, just to see that happening. And the way they brought in everybody. And, uh, of course, my favorite part was having Paul McGann in the little mini-sode. You know, I'm, I'm a doctor, but not, not what you were expecting. And you're like, wow! You know, and to hear hear Tom Baker's voice just come out of nowhere, you know, what 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 was what did he say? He was Smith was talking about being the curator, the great cr- curator, and he's a, and you hear this, you know, I really think you might or something like that, and it's like, ah! yeah, uh, uh, Doctor Who in January, and Sense and Sensibility in March, and then I'll probably take a break and do something else. I don't know. Well, excellent. It's great though. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure being on here, though. Well, this Tom Phillips, it fun. is great to have you on the show. Thank you, Emmer. Absolutely. Thanks for welcoming me, welcoming me into. The butiverse. You see, I said it like butiverse. Ah, you see, but this is so Germanic, you know. So it's like das Buta, you know, like das Buta, like the butiverse. <laughs> das Buter. Yeah. Of course, what are you? They're making a film. It's, it's going like, to be called Das Buter. Das Buter. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think he said pass the butter. Oh. And on that note, we have just had a lovely interview with Tom Phillips, and we'll be right back right after this. Excellent. Buddha. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to send a special thanks to Tom Phillips for being on the show, to Courtney and our sound engineer, Sonny, for producing such a lovely program. Also, a special thanks to Quadrants for composing our theme song. And of course, to you, the listeners, for listening in. We are so glad you did. If you haven't had enough of me here, you can also find me all over social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and even on Instagram. You can find us at The Booter. 
We'd love to hear what you think about the show, and there's actually a place for you to comment on our website. If you go to www.thebooter.com, you can find the comment section and let us know what you think. We're also on Pinterest because, you know, men should be on Pinterest. I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Booterverse is always a click away. 